CJ Sabog, number 15. The speed of Pico, he's in, score! This is the Philly Soccer Show. I'm KWW's Greg Orlandini. First, I talked with forward Fafa Picot about the Union's last two wins. Then, Matt DeGeorge of the Delco Times comes on to discuss some possible off-the-field developments. Big win over the weekend against uh, Real Salt Lake. You guys got four goals. Um, kind of Was that kind of a statement win for you guys? Um, I think it was important. Um being that we had won our, our first away game in a long time um, the week before. So coming back home, we wanted to solidify uh, what we're doing and just showing what we're, uh, that what we're capable of. And so it was just important to get a, a win in front of our crowd, um, kind of get them behind us and uh, get us ready for the next week. So it was big to get, not only get the win at home, but get like that back to back. You got the you got the road win, and then the to the back it up with the, uh, the the win at home. Definitely, no, it was definitely important. Um, it's always good to win in front of our crowd. Um, I think the the away game was the away win was definitely uh, a statement to show that we're not we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna be a weak team away. Uh, again, it had been a while since we'd won in the away game. So I think that was probably the first step. And then winning at home um, is just something to build off of um, going forward. So we just have to now continue that, um, not get ahead of ourselves, but know that we're uh, we're able to do a lot and, and just keep going at that. And it seems like, and you mentioned it a little bit after the game, you had a little of a freer roll out there. You were out, definitely out on the left, but you, you kind of had an opportunity to go inside a little more and move around. Was that something by design with the coaching staff, or was that something you saw that kind of Real Salt Lake was giving you and you, you, you jumped on that opportunity? Um, and honestly, I mean, if we look back at last year, I played the majority, maybe 90% of the games off the left side, so I was just more comfortable. Um, this year I had to start off on the right where I'm a little bit less comfortable, but I try to do what I, what I can with it. Um, with going back to the left side in the past two games, I just feel, uh, better and more at ease. So, um, I also told myself I want to go back to, you know, just the free, the free player I've, I've been over the years and, you know, that's being creative. That's having fun with the ball when it's time in the good areas, uh, where it's not risky for the team. And I could try to create something and make individual plays that that contribute to the to the bigger the bigger picture of what we're trying to do as a team and and uh, get the other offensive players involved as well. And I think that's uh, that was the biggest difference in in my individual uh, performance and contributed to the team. And a lot of guys stepped up and did well. So collectively, it was just uh, just a positive a positive vibe. And uh, you played up top a little bit towards the end of the match. Uh, is that a spot you, you feel comfortable as well? Is that something we might see in the future a little more? An opportunity to play kind of up top more more as a forward, more as a striker? I mean, yeah, generally as a generally in my career, I've played I've played striker. So my uh, my cap with the national team was even as a striker. My time in Germany, Prague, or wherever it was, I've played striker for the past I don't know how long, past eight nine years. So. Um, 
you know, it's nothing I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I've played uh, a lonely striker before as well. It's a bit different, of course, uh, if you look at me physically and you look at CJ or the other strikers, I'm a bit different from the stature, a bit quicker and just uh, just more like, uh, you know, I give a different, I guess, dynamic. I'm not really a hold-off type of striker as or as strong and big as maybe some of our other guys, but um, I think I give an option to go deep and also to, to play the feet and try to turn and get things shifting. So I'm definitely comfortable there. Um, and I've played it three years. So um, anywhere in the front where I can drift and have that freedom, of course, I'm going to tilt and tend to the left side um, wherever I am. But playing up top, uh, I'm comfortable to shift around and get to the right as well and, and try to make things happen and, and free up other guys as well. So it seems like uh, Boric Dutchkel is getting his feet on there a little more every game. Had a really, you know, really good game against Real. What's it like been kind of working with him as he's been getting going? He's another, like you, very offensive-minded player looking to go forward, looking to combine and you know take the ball to the net or, or pass. What's it like kind of finding your way with, a, with another player like that? Um, I think the important thing, um, not only um, – not only the mindset, but trying to get on the same page. I think the first few games were were not always there just for the simple fact that it takes time. Either, you know, when you're looking at a team and you have new guys and we have a few, so it's just a question of, of getting to gel and trying to get get the guys to know what each other wants. So, you know, that's a position where we need we need to be on the same page, especially that 10 position. So just, uh, I think, off-the-field conversations, on-the-field conversations, um, and then there's no better teacher than the game itself. So um, constantly playing together and letting the letting that player know where you want the ball, or him telling me where he likes to be or when he's going to be there. Maybe on cutback passes uh, when I do get behind defenders, he'll be there open. So it's important to to have that communication. I think it's the biggest thing, and um, that's going to be vital for us going forward. Um, I think uh, I think there's still some some. Uh, some improvements that we can make in terms of, of getting better, which is a good thing because we're already showing signs, but there's definitely room for growth, and, and I think that's a, that's a positive for us. And what about you know the player that plays behind you, usually the fullback? Uh, it's been Ray for a couple games. It's been Fabinho, and Matt Real has been out there. So it's been a bit of a mix on the left side coming out of the fullback position. Uh, what's it like when that spot keeps kind of changing behind you? Um. In honesty, just uh, as a winger, left winger specifically, just um, do do my job, do the best that I can do with whoever's behind me. Um, it's again, it goes back to communication. Um, I've already played with both of them, um, both Ray and Fabinho, for the past year and a half. Um, Matt is new into the to the first squad. It's just a question of dialogue, um, guys understanding what I like. If I don't want him overlapping in certain situations or if I like the isolation um, when they should overlap, when they should be here. Also defensively, them talking to me, what tendencies they have, what I'm comfortable with. Um, each guy is different, so um, definitely things will change um, when guys are switched around. But you, know, you just make your best with it and, and try to create a stable and concrete dialogue with each of the guys and, and keep it positive and keep it moving. And we know uh, Jim... Curtin, Coach Curtin always preaches defense and says a lot. A lot of what you guys do defensively starts up top, starts at the front. Is that a part of your game? You feel like it's evolved since you've been with the Union, just being, you know, being able to be like that 
first line of defense uh, in in a more advanced position? Um, yeah, I think um, as of lately, especially, um, we've been doing a good job at the high press. Um, and again, that goes back to the whole team doing it. It's not a, it's not just a one guy, two, three guy thing, because it's eleven guys that have to move. I'd say ten guys that have to move in the same unit. So um, the high press, I think, works out for us. And where if we do go up um, and everybody's together, um, kind of forces teams to play the long ball. And if we're ready for that and expecting that long ball, we can kind of set up our guys to be able to win those second balls and, or even the first and first and second ball and and set us up to gain possession again. So it's important that we, uh, that we continue to move and understand each other defensively. So it's not uh, complicating and we're not getting broken down in the middle or up the middle by other teams. So you have Red Bulls coming up on the weekend, going up, uh, going up to their stadium, uh, they're going to be a tougher test than both Real and Montreal were. Uh, how, how are you guys preparing and, you know, maybe not having as much the same amount of space you guys operated in against, certainly against Real uh, Salt Lake? How are you guys preparing to maybe, you know, playing things in a little more close quarters against a little tougher team in, uh, Real, in, uh, in the Red Bulls? Um, I think the, the important thing is not uh, not to focus too much on what other teams are doing. Um, the other teams are going to do, you know, the, the same things they've been doing all throughout the season last season. Um, but the bigger thing is that we we stick to what we're doing. Obviously, you want to study tendencies of other teams and know what you know what they uh, what they do as a base. But um, the important thing is that we stick to our game. We remain confident and keep keep moving forward um, uh, offensively, staying confident and being comfortable um, with the ball. Uh, movements off the ball. I think once we do that, we have enough quality within our offensive group to um, to beat and break down any team. If you look at the players we have, I think it's pretty uh, pretty obvious. So um, obviously, like I said, you wanna you wanna see what other teams are doing, and Red Bull will definitely be a a test. They're they're a very good team, so we wanna wanna make sure that we're sharp, um, and maybe less. Uh, we can have less less moments of uh, of uh, of loss of concentration than against other teams. So probably just be more focused. But I think overall, as a group, and and if we're speaking offensively, we have more than enough weapons to to break any team down. So before I wrap you, I just got one more question. Um, what kind of goals did you set for yourself at the beginning of the year, and not only for yourself, but kind of for the team, what kind of goals do you have for you know yourself as a player and what goals do you think the team have set for themselves to to achieve through through the rest of the season? I think uh, the main goal um is getting to playoffs as a team. Uh we definitely um we definitely have enough quality within our group to do that. So um kind of just stick together, get through it, get through games, away games, home games. We have a long season so um it's important that we, we just uh we do enough and more to, to secure our spot in the playoffs and push as far as we can within the playoffs and and, uh, and keep going um, individually. Just be uh, always try to be the biggest offensive threat on the field. Um, uh, score a lot of goals, create a, an assist for other guys as well. So um, I think the goals are going to come. Uh, as of lately, I've been doing a good job. I think creating for my for my teammates. So um, I think if I do my job. Um, and everybody does their job, 
um, individually. Um, everybody will be satisfied. Collectively, we will as well. So um, pretty much those. And obviously, with the World Cup being missed this year, uh, jumping back into national team would, would be great as well. But um, first things first is just continuing to perform well and, and helping the group uh, the best that I can. Well, Fafa, I want to thank you very much for taking a little bit of time out and talking with us. And uh, good luck against Red Bull and good, good luck the rest of the year. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take care. On the line from the offices of the Delaware County Times, our good friend and contributor, Matt DeGeorge, how are you this evening, Matt? I am well. How are you, Greg? Good, good. Um, definitely a lot of on-the-field stuff to talk about, but we've had a off-the-field development to pop up with our good friend, the sporting director, Mr. Ernie Stewart. Uh, reports floating around that he is likely in the, uh, I guess, a finalist, I guess that's the way you want to call it, uh, for the newly created a GM job for U.S. soccer. Uh, so what do we know so far? What we know so far is there's been a couple reports out there from a few different sources saying that this is a possibility. Um, I, the, the organization has been very quiet on that front. I think there's been very little to come out uh, about what actually what their actual position on all this is. Um, I think that lends credence to, to these rumors. Uh, Ernie Stewart obviously has a great track record, and he's someone that when the, the position was created that you would have thought, Hey, this is this looks like a job that that Ernie Stewart might be right for, and uh, I think the way that they've kind of dealt with this and some of the things that I've heard in and around the organization indicate that this has some validity to it. Now, whether or not they get it across the line and get a, a deal done uh, is still yet to be seen. But Ernie hasn't hidden his desire to get more involved with American soccer. That was part of the reason why he came to the Philadelphia Union a few years ago. And uh, I, this would be a logical step in that direction. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all that, that he's moving towards this job and that he's deemed a good candidate for it. And you said Ernie has a good track record. I guess if you look at the totality of what he's done as an executive, it's you know, it's very good. But sitting here today, you know, two guys that cover the team, the union – these last few years, the needle hasn't moved that much for, for the team since he's been here. So I assume U.S. soccer is looking at, at the whole picture and not concentrating on the last two years. But I mean, that's got to be a factor for them, right? I, I would think so. It's, uh, it's interesting because when this first came, when this position was first created in the aftermath of, of the travesty in Trinidad and all <laughs> that kind of stuff, and, and they were really looking to to fill this job, Ernie Stewart was obviously floated as a name. And, and the thought process that I went through in thinking about that is that him being the general manager of the U.S. national team takes away one of the big things that I think he's very good at, which is when he was at AZ and when he was at some of the other places in the Netherlands, he was very good at working the transfer market, uh, getting guys for value, and really kind of taking advantage of that arbitrage of how much players are worth to a small budget team versus how much they're worth to a large budget team. That's something that he, that's a skill that he wouldn't really have to brandish all that much with the U S national team because your players are your players. 
but it's also a skill that he hasn't shown to be doing particularly well with here with the union. You look at some of the guys that um, that he's signed and the value that they've gotten back for those guys, and it really hasn't been there. Uh, I don't know if that's if there's cause and effect there, if there's any correlation, but I just find it to be kind of an interesting turn that you thought Ernie Stewart was maybe not a good candidate for the national team job um, because he because that area of his skill set would be underutilized, and yet it's still been underutilized yeah. with the Philadelphia Union. I mean, do you, do you think it's a situation he could take that U.S. job and just point to the Union and say, hey, you know, there wasn't, I didn't have the resources that, you know, the other MLS teams have, this, that. And I'm not saying he's going to sit there and make excuses, but those are factors that we know go into what goes on with the union. He, he very well could. And I think that's a dangerous game because if you're going to do that, then you could point to some of the things that are quote unquote successes of his time with the Philadelphia union. And you can just as easily write those off to factors that were uh, in play long before Ernie Stewart got here. You know, the developmental pipeline here with the union, the thing that the union is supposedly going to hang its hat on for the next X amount of years that's not something that Ernie Stewart created. He might have had a big he might have had a big role in helping to get certain players over the finish line and helping to articulate the place that the Union Academy has within the larger orbit of the Philadelphia Union. But he didn't come in and say, "We need this academy, and I'm going to, you know, build it up from from the foundation and all that kind of thing." So in both cases, I think we have to be a little careful in. If and if this time next week we are appraising Ernie Stewart's legacy here with the Philadelphia Union, we have to be a little careful in how we dole out credit and also how we dole out blame in all of this. So if he does go, what does that mean for the team? What's it mean for Jim Curtin? What's it mean? Yeah, basically for the team. What's it mean going forward? Because you know, we we all thought this was a project. When Ernie came in, this was kind of almost not hitting the reset button, but pretty close to that. And it's a new, new way of doing things for the team and all of that. And there's going to be a new, new system of how the team does what they do. And so he's here two, three years and he's gone and that reset button's probably going to get hit again. So what, what's it all mean? That's, that's a good, that's a very good question there. I don't think we have, uh, we don't have the answer to just yet. I think, uh, I think when Ernie Stewart was here, it was, brought here, it was with a certain open-ended sensibility to say that, you know, he was going to be here for a while until things got better. And I don't think necessarily that that meant that you required some kind of end point, like he wasn't going to necessarily be here until they won a championship or something like that. But I think you were going to see Ernie Stewart want to remain in Philadelphia until things were materially better than they were when he got here. And we're not at that point. I don't think that the union, I think they're they're better off in some ways than they were uh, before Ernie Stewart got here. But I don't think they've made as much progress as other clubs in MLS have made in that time. And I think a lot of the ways in which they've made progress might have happened with or without Ernie Stewart being here. Uh, so it'll be interesting to, you know, that still falls into his legacy. What that means going forward uh, Certainly, Jim Curtin loses one of his staunchest supporters mm-hmm. in a sporting director who always had his back. Um, I think that the message that the Philadelphia Union have put in place um, 
probably is something that's going to outlast Ernie Stewart. Some of those pillars of, you know, the academy and and you know local talent and all those kinds of things and having to be more than the sum of their parts. Those are things that are probably going to outlast Ernie Stewart if he leaves now or if he leaves later. Um, but certainly, it, it introduces some uh, it introduces some questions into the mix and, and a little bit of chaos. It also brings Jay Sugarman back front and center because he's back in the spotlight of he's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to replace him with someone huh. fairly significant. He's They've changed the structure of the organization really around Ernie Stewart, where before there was no one holding that job of the sporting, of the, the sporting director job. They would have to either decide whether they're going to move away from that model or find someone to fill a role similar to what Ernie Stewart has. And I think when Jay Sugarman went out and took the lead in the process of finding Ernie Stewart to come in and direct soccer operations, that was one of the first times that you really saw Jay Sugarman asserting himself and saying, we're going to invest really smartly. And that that was Jay's hire. And I think it's the first time you could really say that someone was Jay Sugarman's hire. And now he's going to have to go out and do that again. I think the one name I saw kicked around, I think just speculatively, because he's also up for the, uh, he's another name that's been mentioned for the GM job, was Ali Curtis, who was with the Red Bull, I believe. And uh, it seemed like it could be a logical fit. He knows MLS. He'd be a guy that could kind of step in and, and not seamlessly, but you know, step into a position because it's a position he's held. I mean, again, this is all speculative pretty much we're talking about right now, but that's, that is one name that I've seen put forward. Yeah. And that would be, that would make sense. And I'm sure that that's the, what Ali Curtis did in his time at Red Bulls is one of the archetypes that I think they, that the union um, followed when they were looking for what kind of job and what kind of role they wanted Ernie Stewart to fill. And um, I think it makes sense to, to target someone like that. There are others um, on that side uh, who who might be in that same vein. Um, but, it you know, the, the consensus was that hiring Ernie Stewart was a really good decision by mm-hmm. the Philadelphia Union when it happened. And even if it hasn't been perfect, I think Ernie has done a, a fairly good job here here with the union, certainly good enough that apparently the U.S. national team would want him to do a similar job. And so you're going to have big shoes to fill. And that's just another, that's just another, it is a little bit of a reset. It's a little bit of a reset on the organization, especially if you bring in someone who is going to, who's going to want their own coach, who's who's then going to want some of his own players and, and things like that. So it would introduce a fair amount of uncertainty to a situation where the union have a certain amount of certainty, but it's still not translating into wins. How attractive of a position is that, though, to, to somebody, um, the, the sporting director gig here for the union? I mean, it, we're starting to see it play out a little bit that Ernie took the opportunity to come back to the United States and you know further his ambitions. I mean, that's fine. I mean, people do that in all walks of life. You take a position to, you know, be upperly mobile and push yourself forward. So, I mean, I'm I'm not knocking him for doing that, but it, if it, this plays out the way it's looking like, that's kind of what he did. And with the salary numbers, we saw the union have money to spend on salaries, but they don't have that that kind of pile of money to make transfer to 
have for transfer fees. So whoever comes in there is going to have to deal in that financial structure. And I don't know how attractive that is to someone. Yeah, I think you're going to have to find somebody who has that certain level of ambition to uh, to kind of deal with some of those things. And I think that's what Ernie Stewart had coming in, and you maybe didn't expect him to to want to be in a place that was a little bit of a project. It's going to have to be someone that embraces the challenge, that understands the challenge. You can't you can't bring somebody in who thinks that they're going to have Toronto money mm-hmm. uh, here because that's just not the case, and that makes this search that much, that much more difficult. It also, um, you know, if, if there's the, the behind the scenes push and pull between spending money and being what the organization would call smart about money, you're going to find a new balance in that dynamic of the push and pull between spending and, and being able to make do with less resources. So, and all of that engenders, change. All of that necessitates a little bit of a change in how things go, and there's going to be friction in, in that kind of process if it comes to pass. And, you know, you could see you could see guys like Alejandro Bedoya, who has a big salary and is kind of a, a cornerstone of the organization. Maybe he becomes a point of friction um, as being, you know, a previous guy. Certainly Jim Curtin, you could see, is becoming a point of friction um, between old and new. So, it, it's it's going to it's going to create some change. It could also create good change um, if there's some new ideas that come in and some uh, maybe some different connections in Europe and some some better way of doing things in terms of the personnel acquisition side of it and and how they spend their money. Uh, but it, it it does introduce uncertainty and uncertainty a lot of times is is not a good thing for a soccer club. I mean, personally, hopefully whoever comes in, I'd like to see them, the team be more South America, Central America facing again, it just because I think there there's value for money there. And we see the other teams, MLS, knowing that. And it's something that, you know, I asked Ernie about it and he kind of, kind of, not you know, he kind of denied what I was asking, but that they were more Europe facing. They were more uh, right. looking, which is logical. That's his connections. But to, to kind of turn away from South America is something that's definitely happened. I, I feel like on Ernie, but even but even that that's really kind of a value neutral choice. I mean, it's not inherently more expensive to go one way or the other, but changing that direction is going to cause friction. You right. know, if you're if you're and and that's what that's what in some ways the union I don't know can't afford in terms of how much equity they have with the fan base. I mean, to reset now before having achieved anything of really any substantial mention would be to to what to tell fans that well no we're going to bring in this new person and he's going to have his way of doing things and um maybe in a couple of years we'll be there and we'll try and win along the way but you know it, there's so many at some point there's just so many resets that yeah. it it makes it a little dizzying and it's resets from a low position it's not a regime, you know, it's not Garth Lagerway having success someplace and then deciding he wants the new challenge or deciding, you know, that you need to bring in a new coach who's going to get them over, the, you know, from the second round of the playoffs into an MLS Cup contender. This is deciding whether you want to be seventh or ninth. Right. I mean, and uh, I'm sure for fans that's got to be a grating choice. Yeah, that's the thing. We're not. None of this is off the back of like. 
two or three really deep playoff runs or a, a cup final or or you know a MLS Cup final appearance or or you know so you know or anything like that. This is right. you know one playoff appearance with a loss and then you know another b- a bad season last year and a kind of herky jerky start to this year. So like you said, this and is and that's where the that's where the, I think the dissonance is because it's not Boyd. Look at the job that Ernie Stewart did here in Philadelphia. I, I think a lot a way that a lot of the fans that I've interacted with today have said, you know. It's not, boy, look at the great job that Ernie Stewart did here in Philadelphia. Now we watch as he takes the next step in his career mm-hmm. to, to to the U.S. national team, and we're still going to root for him because he did a great job right, here, right. and now it's time to go on to the next and bigger and better thing. It's not that, and that's why I think it's, you know, not only could it be a tough sell for the fan base, but it can also be something that's quite uncomfortable for the fan base of him kind of leaving in a, um, in an in-between moment that that isn't kind of a high or low moment. Right. We we felt like he was coming in with a, with a with a vision and a project, and the project I would even say is half done at this point, and he could be leaving. You know. I mean it's it's hard to see it's hard to see the beginning and the end point of it, mm-hmm. whether they're at it or not. You know, right. Yeah, exactly. See. It's kind of hard to see what they're even aiming at off the distance sometimes. Um, all right, let, let, let's let's uh, kind of shift gears here and talk about on the field. Uh, two wins oh, for right. the, we're still playing soccer. <laughs> two wins for the Union. Um, uh, on first win on the road, uh, kind of a pyrrhic victory with losing uh, Burke for, with the right card, but still a road win is a road win, and they don't they don't come by pretty too easily for the Union and. And I think the most emphatic performance the unions had, certainly this year and going back probably a little bit into last year against Real Salt Lake at home, where they just really were able to put Real to the sword. Yeah, it was surprising. Uh, certainly the most impressive win since that uh, Orlando City game at the end of last season. And that was obviously a mm-hmm. two teams playing out the string. So you'd have to go further back to the most significant win um, before that, but yeah, I think what you saw against RSL was what the union think they can be when they're at their best, when everyone's being influential, um, when Alejandro Bedoya is making those really good incisive runs and being very good on the ball, when Boric Dochkal is controlling the game, uh, when Harris Medujanin is, is controlling the game from deep. And when they're getting those attacking runs from the full ba- or from the outside, uh, outside wingers, which is kind of what uh, this formation is predicated on, so I think that is a a, a uh, significant win for them. Certainly, uh, I I do think though that yes, they have four wins, but all four of the wins this season come with some kind of caveats. It's always yes. But New England, even though they're playing well now, was down to nine men and was kind of disorganized. And yes, Montreal has given up so many goals. And yes, but, uh, you know, D.C. United is not a great team. And Mm -hmm. yes, but RSL is not a great team. (laughs) So this weekend is a chance to kind of remove those. And Jim Curtin was uh, in his press conference on Saturday was rather pointed in his uh, some of his answers, including uh, one where he, he asked the question of, you know, whether you look at us analytically or don't want to look at us analytically, I guess the, the only question is uh, how how good of a team are we? And, uh, you know, that's a question that I think the Red Bulls game goes a long way towards answering. 
and I was on with uh, on the air with their our own Matt Leon, and he asked me, "What do we know about the union at this point?" And kind of what I told him was, if they're playing teams kind of around them, that th- they have a puncher's chance, and you know the the DCs, the Reals, people like that. But if they try to go up a level, you know, we saw against Dallas. I mean, Toronto's record is weird, but they still have all the talent in the world. You know, we saw right. against Toronto. There's just these teams they can't get a foothold against. They can't even, you know, get near the ball. They can't do anything against. And you know, the Toronto and and the and the Dallas game, they were just 90 minutes played off the park. You know, without getting like a toehold into the game, and and that's what's making this New York game so important because you know it's New York, it's a rivalry, it's all that. But you have these two wins. You got the road win. You got the pretty emphatic win against Real. And I don't know how you measure success against uh, uh, New York if you can go in there and kind of play your game, even if you walk out of there without any points, but you don't get just bulldozed. You almost can look at that as a success in, in a way. I, I think they should go up there and hopefully get something out of it. But if they have another game like they had against Toronto or Dallas on the road where they, they're just not in it at all, that's that's bad. Yeah, I, I wouldn't look at it as a success just to go up there and, and play. <laughs> well, well you game. know what? But I mean, you get what I'm but, getting at, though. I mean, they can't, they have to at least go up there and try to play their game and try to just be in the game. I mean, those, those couple games, they weren't in the game at all. Yeah, and I, I think it all comes back to the fact that you can you can be a playoff team in MLS by taking care of business around the teams that are near you, mm-hmm. by beating the teams that are below you in the standings, and by you know getting the draws against teams that are just above you in the standings and maybe going and beating a team that's below you in the standings on the road and stuff like that. But with the predicament that the Union are in now, because of that slow start, you know, when you only get one point with Columbus in town, when you only get one point with San Jose in, the t- in town, when you get no points with Orlando in town, you've, you've seeded that high ground. Yeah. And so now you have to go and win games that you are objectively, in air quotes, not supposed to win. And Red Bulls qualifies as one of those games. Um, mm. And I think that, you know, the bright side is, is the union have the power to change their narrative this season as to what they are. They have the power to change who's in each of those groups, teams that are the next level above them, teams that are below them, teams that they're right around. They have the power by going out and winning games or by not winning them to decide which tier they belong in. I, I, I do think that this team has the power to do that. And the only way they're going to do that is by getting different kinds of results, by going in and getting a draw at Red Bulls, by when Chicago comes into town next week, beating a struggling Chicago team, by, you know, putting up a good fight and beating Toronto when they come to town in a couple of weeks. Those are the kinds of results that are going to shift what class of MLS you're in. And this is an opportunity for them to do that. The problem is they haven't done that. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, that's why I think so many people in the fan base and certainly me as an, as an objective observer are very much in the, I'll see it when I believe it camp of, you know, I, I will believe, or I guess I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it camp. <laughs> I like, I'll meant. believe that. Yeah. I'll believe that the union are as good as however are as good as Jim Curtin thinks they are when they actually go out and perform like that. 
And unfortunately, if you look historically, they haven't done that very often over the arc of years. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm definitely in that camp as well where, I mean, you, you point you point at these wins, and I think especially the D.C. win, it was, it was you know, coughing up two goals at D.C. at home. I mean, that's that's something you had to work on. Even, you know, losing the, the shutout to, uh, to Real was an issue, I think, for me in a way. Um, what do you – what do you do up top against DC? Um, CJ was subbed, I think, around the 65th minute. He was coming off the injury, so probably a good idea not to have him go 90. You're going to get Burke back off the, off the red card. Do you think about giving, giving CJ another rest and letting Burke kind of – he had success on the road before. Do you, do you think you try to do that, or, or do you need CJ's physicality on the road? Uh, I'd start Jay Simpson. No, I, no, I wouldn't start Jay <laughs> um, I would. I I think Jim Curtin will probably go back to CJ Sapong. This yeah. will be something that we broach in the in the conversation uh, with him for his weekly press conference Thursday morning. Um, but I also think I would go with CJ Sapong under the guise of you have three games. You're now going into another stretch of three games in. Uh, I think it's nine days mm-hmm. uh, with Chicago and then the trip to Atlanta next week. You have this coming up. So be smart about it. Go in with the idea of, okay, maybe he doesn't have 90 minutes in him, and then be ready. If it's a physical game, you've got Burke. If it's not a physical game, then you've got uh, David Akam. If you're going to bunker, um, if you're going to bunker and then try and counter late, David Akam might be your your option. I would assume that Marcus Epps and Fafa Pico, after being very good last week against RSL, are going to get starts on the wings again because they've certainly earned it. Um, then you have some options, but I would go in with that mindset of, you know, with CJ, you know, give us 60 minutes, give us all you got. And I think that's a really good approach to take against a team like uh, Red Bulls on the road because they're going to press, they're going to be tired late. So maybe the speed of a calm is going to catch them out in a way that some other teams might not be caught out. So, mm-hmm. you know, have those options in mind. I, I, I would hope that it's not going to be just, you know, drilling Sapong into a wall for 90 minutes and just have him keep running and, and, and that's the plan. I think we will wrap it up on that. Um, Matt, let, let our listening public know where they could, uh, they could read your stuff where they can follow you on social media. Sure. You can find me at uh, delcotimes.com slash sports as well as finding my work in the Delco times. Uh, you can also find me at the athletic Philadelphia, uh, where I've been uh, contributing some features and some longer stuff. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter at sports, Dr. MD. Uh, thanks a lot, Matt, for joining us this week. Thanks. Take thanks care. for having me. Greg. Hi, man.